Uh, uh, the reading today is from Psalm 6. It's on page 545. Bible's coming around. If you need a Bible, just pop your hand up. Uh, Sam Ball is going to read for us. And uh, then it's over to Chris. morning. So I'm reading Psalm 6. Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I am faint. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are in agony. My soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord? How long? Turn, Lord, and deliver me. Save me because of your unfailing love. Among the dead, no one proclaims your name. Who praises you from the grave? I am worn out from my groaning. All night long I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of all my foes. Away from me, all you who do evil, for the Lord has heard my weeping. The Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies will be overwhelmed with shame and anguish. They will turn back and suddenly be put to shame. Uh, thanks, Sam. Uh, I'm going to invite Chris up. Uh, Chris is one of our afternoon elders, and uh, it occurred to me, lots of you may not have even ever seen Chris. I mean, uh, so uh, I just thought I'd uh, say, hi, Chris. Um, tell us about your family. You have the correct number of children, those sort of things. Do you want to... <laughs> yeah. um, hi, I'm Chris. So um, I'm married to Lisby. We've got four boys. Um, Lisby... Sorry. Well, well done. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> this psalm is not about him raising four boys. <laughs> um, so Lisby and James are actually on the way to a Christians in Sport camp at the moment. So they're not here, but three of them are somewhere. Yeah. Great. Uh, two questions unrelated. Uh, what do you do and how did you become a Christian? Yes, unrelated. I'm a solicitor. Um, and um, property law, mainly advising charities and schools, which is quite interesting um, sometimes. Um, that, that sort of sets the tone for the sermon. I'm sorry if I get a bit boring. Um, um, how did I become a Christian? Um, so I grew up going to church um, and... Strangely, actually, as a, as a child, I sort of enjoyed church. Um, but um, as in, that was a sort of very different church to this sort of place. So it was a Catholic church where I was an altar boy, um, all very formal. Um, but it was, but Christian things, um, as I sort of went into teenage years and then um, adult at, at university, I still thought. Christianity could be taken too seriously. I thought it was a bit weird if you did anything other than go to church on a Sunday. Um, and so I didn't really understand Christianity. Um, and it was actually, so I, I refused to sort of go to, uh, refused invites to Christian Union and extra Christian things. But, it, but I met Lisby and I quite liked her. And <laughs> so, and she invited me to a Christians in Sport group. Um, and so I, I wanted to go to that because she invited me. And um, it was, 
at that group that we, we went through two ways to live, which is this great tool with six pictures to explain the gospel um, to people. And so it was in sort of training how to tell people the gospel that I realised what the gospel was myself. And that's when I would say my relationship with Jesus really began. Great. Uh, do you want to pray or shall I, shall I pray? I don't want to disturb what you've planned. You pray and then I'll pray. You'll pray as well. Great. <laughs> uh, Lord, we thank you uh, for your word and for uh, the opportunity now to hear from you. Uh, thank you for Chris and the faith you've given him and his family. And uh, we uh, praise you for uh, bringing him to know you. And we pray as he speaks from your word now that you'd uh, encourage us all uh, to hear from you, uh, rebuke us, correct us. Uh, direct us, uh, do what we need uh, according to your will, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Brill, thanks, Sam. Okay, let me get my notes sorted. Okay, so. We're looking at Psalm 6. Each year Sam asks us elders to preach from the Psalms over the summer. And so we're asked to choose a Psalm. And each year I ask Sam to tell me which one to preach on because I prefer it that way than choosing myself. So the first year Sam gave me Psalm 3. Then it was Psalm 4. (laughs) And then it was Psalm 5. And so I think I've cracked the code. So... I didn't bother asking him this year. I just said, I'm doing Psalm 6. I then read it. Um, verse 1, Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger. Verse 6, I'm worn out from my groaning. I have since wondered whether a different psalm would have been a better, a better choice. God's anger not being my first choice topic, but... Um, but I decided that choosing to avoid a psalm would not be the best thing to do. So let's see what God has to say to us through this psalm this morning um, as the Holy Spirit applies these things to our hearts. And perhaps see how this might be a psalm that we can say, that we can sing uh, and and make our own. Um, So let's ask him for help as we do that. Dear Father God, we thank you for speaking to us in your word, the Bible. Please help us to listen and respond well to your voice as we wrestle with and think deeply about this psalm this morning. We pray for your help. Amen. Okay, if you keep your Bible open as as we go through, that would be a a great help. Um, Think of a child crying out for help. There are all sorts of cries for help in our house at different times of day. Mum, where are my trousers? Um, Dad, can you get me a toilet roll? Um, But the cry for help that we're looking at this morning is clearly very different. A situation of, of real distress, anguish, pain. So this is a psalm perhaps for those times. Seasons when, when life is not going particularly well. Um, and actually, we'll see that this psalm is full of surprises as we go through, I think. Uh, we don't know the context of the psalm. Um, the introductory remarks don't give us any clue. It says there, for the director of music with stringed instruments, according to Sheminith, which, um, according to the footnote, is 
probably a musical term. Um, but it is a psalm of David, the king of Israel, the king of God's people, God's king. And we'll see that he is in trouble, he's in distress. Um, you'll see an outline of where we're going will come up on the screen. Thanks, Sam. Um, and our first point from verses 1 to 4 is that in his suffering, David reasons with and cries out to God. Here we see that in a time of suffering, time of pain, anguish, David takes his situation to God. He relates to God through his situation. He reasons with God even, does business with God, even whilst being aware of his own sin in that situation. So verse 1, Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I am faint. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are in agony. My soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord? How long? Turn, Lord, and deliver me. Save me because of your unfailing love. So as I said, we don't know David's situation. Verse 1, he's clearly aware of his shortcomings before God. He senses God's anger, God's wrath. Verse 2, he's, he's faint. His bones are in agony. Verse 3, his soul is in anguish. And looking down a little bit further to verse 5, it might be even that he feels close to death. But it does seem that the starting point here, verse 1, is that David knows he's in trouble with God for some reason. We, we don't, again, we don't know the reason for David sensing God's anger. We know there are... Um, from his life, obvious situations that come to mind. Adultery with Bathsheba. Um, and then we know he arranged for Bathsheba's husband to be killed in battle. However, elsewhere in the Psalms, David speaks of being sinful from birth. That's in Psalm 51. And the Bible is clear about the nature of humans as people who do not follow the perfect ways of God, as we've um, been seeing already this morning, as Sam has uh, described to us, uh, we don't follow the perfect ways of God as we should. We know there have been countless other times, therefore, that could have led to David feeling this way and fearing rebuking God's anger. So, is it a specific situation? Is it a more general sense? Who knows? But sin is one of those words that it's really helpful, I think, always to remind ourselves of what we mean by it. We have that very helpful acronym um, to explain it to children. Shove off God. I'm in charge. No to your rule. It's a rejection of God that is worked out in big ways and in small ways in our lives. And not meeting God's perfect standards is a big deal. God can't just turn a blind eye to his creation, not obeying him and living as he requires. David knows this. He knows he's in the wrong. And so he cries out for mercy. Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. He appeals to God not to deal with him as he deserves. Now you might think 
anger and wrath are too strong for for God. God shouldn't be angry. That's uh, the sense that I think that the world generally has about God. God should be all loving. But if God loves all that is right and good and he himself is perfect, it makes sense that he should be set against in the strongest possible terms against anything that is opposed to him and his goodness. So anger and judgment is the right response from God. And I think it's also helpful to think about God's wrath and anger being very different to our human experience of anger. Um, In the New Bible Dictionary, which is um, sort of thick blue book, I found this section um, on anger and God's wrath very helpful. It says, The permanent attitude of the holy and just God, when confronted by sin and evil, is designated his wrath. So it's the permanent attitude of the holy and just God, when confronted by sin and evil, is his wrath. And then a little later it goes on to say, It's a personal quality without which God would cease to be fully righteous and his love would degenerate into sentimentality. So his wrath, uh, however, even though like his love, it has to be described in human language, it is not wayward, fitful, or spasmodic, as human anger always is. It is as permanent and as consistent an element in his nature as is his love. So it's that permanent attitude of the holy and just God when confronted by sin and evil. And so he is, in the strongest possible terms, intensely set against anything which is opposed to him and his goodness. It's very clear throughout the Bible, the Old and New Testament, that God's wrath is a fact and that being subject to God's wrath means death and destruction. And so David's response to hide, to want to cry out, is not surprising. Verse 1, have mercy on me, Lord. Sorry, that's verse 2. Do not rebuke me. Verse 2, have mercy on me, Lord, for I am faint. And as we can see, there are, there are physical effects in his situation. He's, he's faint, his bones are in agony, he needs healing, perhaps he has some sort of illness uh, in this situation. Um, verse 3, his soul is in deep anguish. No wonder as he senses God's wrath, the awesome creator of the universe. How long, Lord, how long? I think one of the most surprising things about this psalm, as you sort of dig into it, one of the confusing things, is the fact that David is still alive. I mean, that he's still able to speak, that he, that he has a relationship with God. He's, he's acknowledging God's anger, and yet he's able to come to God and have a relationship with him. It just seems a contradiction. How can God delay in acting in accordance with his wrath or not follow through on the response of just getting rid of David? Destruction. But David is able to go on. Turn, Lord. Verse 4, turn, Lord. Deliver me. Save me because of your unfailing love. He appeals for salvation, rescue. He knows God's anger is right, 
and yet he appeals for rescue. And so when we're thinking about God's wrath, it's also great to remind ourselves of God's patience and love. Psalm 103, David again says, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbour his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. And so, strangely, it's just incredible that David reasons with God. He cries out to him in this major suffering and, and, and knowledge of his sin. It is a wonder, a relationship with God, the almighty creator of the universe, when we know, David knows he's done wrong. He's able to speak to God. This is a real, honest, open relationship. David is real with God. I wonder, as we reflect on this, how we respond. Do do we enjoy a relationship with God that is like this, that is as honest and open and real as this? The Psalms are a great place to learn and work on our relationship with God. Perhaps pray through a psalm a day, maybe just a few verses of a psalm. I mean, just looking through Psalm 7, verse 1, Lord my God, I take refuge in you. Save and deliver me. Psalm 8, verse 1, Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Can we use the psalms to get to know God and enjoy a relationship with him? What a great God we have. A God who is a God of relationship. A God who has made this world so that he you know, de- deliberately made it this world so that he relates to his creatures. I think this is one of the things that people would be surprised. People who don't know um, God, who don't know Jesus, would be surprised by tomorrow morning, later today perhaps. How about telling somebody about him. How was your weekend? You you could try saying you spent some of it thinking about how incredible God is and the surprise that we can even have a relationship with him. He's unimaginably powerful and yet he interacts with us as people. That is incredible. We've treated him awfully, disobeyed him, the almighty creator of the universe. We have disobeyed him and yet he listens to us he wants us to speak to him he we can pray to him worship him love him and he can and does love us in response how does that even make sense it's mind-blowing that's one of the things as i I, you know i'm a sort of relatively logical thinker and yet sometimes you read the psalms and it almost doesn't make sense it's so wonderful But as we move on to verses 5 to 7, David continues to despair. He has a relationship with God, but he continues to be in pain. He despairs and is at his end. Let's have a look at verses 5 to 7. Among the dead, no one proclaims your name. Who praises you from his grave? I'm worn out from my groaning. All night long I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. 
My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of all my foes. It seems to me, again, this is a very real situation. The Bible doesn't sugarcoat life. It acknowledges and presents the the pain and suffering of the human condition. So David's thoughts turn to death. This situation, whether it's illness uh, or perhaps attack from enemies, it's a very real threat that puts his life at stake. And again, verse 5, he's reasoning with God, but there's almost a helplessness about it. He's at his wit's end. God, this makes no sense. And then in verses 6 and 7, it's as if his thoughts seem to turn inward. His eyes come off God and he looks at his situation with complete despair and futility. It's um, interesting that verses 1 to 5, there's a lot of Lord, Lord, Lord. Verses 6 and 7, it's I and my. And it's empty, it's despair, futile, helpless. But we're not going to stay in these verses for long. They show us the reality of David's situation and his, his psychology. They show us the full depths of his problems and his emotional reaction. But the points that I think are, are most helpful for us to focus on are what we do with those feelings, what we do in those times, which is shown in the verses around Those first verses, David takes his situation to God. He relates to him. He appeals to him. And then the final verses, as there is a turning point, as God hears and victory is David's. And that's where we're going to go now. And this is another surprise, because just like that, there is a turn. It's it's like switching a light on. You know, it's dark. Switch light on, light. The contrast of dark and turning immediately to light. I mean, it's... It is surprising, as I said, David's attitude changes and his mind turns to victory. Verse 8, away from me, all you who do evil, for the Lord has heard my weeping. The Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies will be overwhelmed with shame and anguish. They will turn back and suddenly be put to shame. So what is going on here? What has changed? Verse 5, death is near. Verse 6, worn out from groaning, flooding his bed with tears, drenching his couch, his eyes failing, he's growing weak with sorrow. Verse 8, away from me, all you who do evil. A complete change. What is the difference? Away from me, all you who do evil, for the Lord has heard my weeping. The Lord has heard. God hears. Verse 9, the Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayer. God hears. And I think it's really interesting that David hasn't yet had his victory. If you look at verse 10, 
all my enemies will be overwhelmed with shame. They will turn back. They will, they shall. It's, it's future. The situa- David's situation has not yet changed. So how is David so confident? How has his outlook changed so dramatically? Well, it's, it's because he knows God. He knows the Lord. David has been in an awful situation, as low as it goes. Perhaps that's how we sometimes feel. Perhaps that's how you feel now. Perhaps you know of times when you have felt like that. And what does David do in that situation? He prays. He thinks about God and his character. The Lord in capital letters. You see that in your Bibles, the Lord in capital letters. There's a whole load of meaning wrapped up in that little word. The God who keeps his promise. The God who sticks to his people. So, We've seen David's situation and his solution. To pray, to cry out to God, to dwell on God's character. Can it be our solution as well, I wonder? Can we make this a psalm for ourselves? Can we face our low and lowest situations and come out with this confidence of God hearing our prayer and this certain hope of victory? Well, in verse 3, David is in deep anguish as he contemplates his sin. In John chapter 12, we read of Jesus saying, in verse 27, Now my soul is greatly troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason that I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. This is in the days leading up to Jesus' death on the cross. My soul is greatly troubled. Shall I say, Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this reason, for the cross, that I came to this hour. And so it's in the cross that this psalm makes sense for us. It's on the cross where God's wrath and his love meet. And it's through faith, trust in Jesus, that we make this psalm ours and are able to have the confidence that God does here he does accept our prayer from the cross jesus bore our sins and through the cross jesus rescues us from the coming wrath jesus takes god's wrath he bears it takes the judgment so that we're free from the penalty for sin and we're brought into relationship with god and so for christians those who trust in jesus and turn to him as king there is no need to feel fear of God's wrath. And the Bible is clear that when we trust in Jesus, we're forgiven and we're joined to him so that we are in him and we come into a wonderful family, father-child relationship with God. And so we can be even more confident than David that as we look at what Jesus did for us, the depth of God's love for us, his unfailing love, that he listens as we pray and we can bring him our problems and requests, we can cry out to him. 
It's a useful psalm for leading us into into confession. Traditionally, it's um, the church has labelled it one of the penitential psalms. Can be used in confession and repentance. It can lead us to say sorry to God for our sin. Uh, Because although we are saved from God's wrath and judgment, the ongoing sin that we battle against gets in the way of a perfect and full relationship with God. So we can use this psalm to express sorrow at our sin, to be reminded of his salvation and forgiveness and to be restored to him in relationship, remembering who he is and the fact that he listens and to renew our efforts to live for him. Equally, it might be a psalm as I say, that we turn to when life is just really hard and we're at our wits' end, stressed, ill, overwhelmed, difficulties, whatever they are. Or perhaps it's a psalm that we could share with somebody else who's going through a hard time. Perhaps with somebody who isn't a Christian, we can show them what God is like and that they can be in relationship with God through Jesus. It's a great psalm. Whatever our questions, our confusion, our situation, our sin, this psalm leads us to bring all of that to God and to kind of filter everything uh, into and through our relationship with God and remind ourselves of his great glory and his unfailing love. And he hears and accepts our prayer. Our circumstances might not change immediately or in the way we hope. But he hears, and as we think on him and call out to him and call to mind his character and his salvation, my experience is so often that that leads to peace and a renewed strength and a a turning around. It's a lament. Many of the Psalms are, and other parts of the Bible Um, Again, because the Bible is real about life. But the idea with these is not to focus on ourselves, to focus on on our sadness or our problem, but to come to God, bring them to God. And as we do, be enabled to keep going and be strengthened. And finally, deliverance will come. What a great thing it is to live after Jesus, after the cross, and be able to see his work to see what he has done for us and to see how much God loves us and how secure our relationship with him is. I mean, in verse 5, David seems a little bit uncertain about life after death. Well, we can look at Jesus and say, yes, there is life into eternity. He rose from the dead. We can look at the cross and know that the great enemies of sin, death and the devil will be defeated because they have been that victory was won on the cross. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us, so we need not fear God's wrath. And as we go on in life, we have the wonder of prayer, the fact that we can tell him our sorrows and pain. He hears a relationship with God the Almighty, and that dramatically changes things. Away from me, all you who do evil, for the Lord has heard my weeping. The Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies will be overwhelmed with shame and anguish. 
they will turn back and suddenly be put to shame. Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you so much that we have been brought into relationship with you through Jesus and his death on the cross. Thank you that that dramatically changes things. Thank you that that means that you hear and you accept our prayer. Thank you that we can call you Father. We can know the love of the Father, the unfailing love that rescues us and strengthens us to keep going. What a wonder it is to have a God like you, Father. We praise you and we thank you. Amen.